This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Take your Bibles and turn with me as we continue our study in the book of Proverbs to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, we will be looking this morning at verses 1 through 12. This does not happen to me every week, but I woke up this Monday morning so excited that I got to spend my entire week studying this text of scripture. This is one of the most well-known, if not the most well-known passage in all of Proverbs. Uh, Through the years, I have seen, as you have as well, this is to many people their life verse. It is to many people kind of a lifeline. It has been something that many of you have held on to for years. It has become kind of a mantra for you, a saving grace for you in many ways. And so I just woke up Monday thinking, what a great opportunity I have to just immerse myself in this text. And I have to tell you, after doing that for the last few days, I have found myself deeply encouraged, but even more so, I would say, just helped. Like, I was just really helped. This passage really helped me this week. I needed it. I'm thankful for the way in which the Lord used it in my life. And even this morning, I can't tell you, as as we were singing, I just kept sensing uh, that the Lord kind of giving me this vision of a a wind, the refreshing wind of the Holy Spirit coming over us and, and just refreshing our souls and making us go out of here feeling a little lighter and a little more encouraged and practically helped on knowing how to take what is said here and apply it to our lives. I was thinking this week about our vision as a church. Our vision is to be a church in which people are experiencing and enjoying and expanding the presence of God. So I don't want that to be vague. Let me say it this way. Our vision for your life is that through the ministry of our church, you would learn how to experience the presence of God. That God would be real to you, that God would be sensed, that God would be felt, and it would not just be on a Sunday morning. It is always our prayer that on Sunday morning you would experience the presence of God. We talk about this a lot. We don't plan services to attract people. We plan services to attract the presence of God. We want God and his manifest presence here. And so we hope that you feel that here, but we want you to wake up in the morning and feel it then, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. But through that, we want you to learn how to enjoy God's presence. We want you to know the truth of Psalm 67, that in his presence is fullness of joy and his right hand are pleasures forever. We want this idea of the presence of God to be so refreshing to you and encouraging to you. And then we want to fulfill that vision of John 7 where Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink and out of him will flow rivers of living water. So what's happened? experiencing God's presence, you're enjoying God's presence, and then his presence is being expanded as you are full of God by his Holy Spirit. I have to say that when you come to a text like Proverbs chapter 3, I'm not sure there is any more practical text to show us how we might this week and every week experience God's presence in the everyday affairs of our life and learn to enjoy God's presence and learn to expand God's presence. And so for that sake, for that reason, because this is even more excited to be able to spend some time with you in this text this morning. Now, I will tell you, uh, this is going to be a two-part sermon that was not the plan. Last 
service, I was halfway through my message and I looked up and I was already like three minutes over time. And I stood there and tried to, while I was speaking, still trying to figure out exactly what to do. And I really didn't want to make it into two sermons because I've kind of planned my preaching calendar. And I've really been trying to avoid hitting Proverbs 5 and 7 about the promiscuous woman on Easter. I've been trying to avoid that. <laughs> Maybe it's exactly what we need. But those are like two chapters of very specific things about the kind of women that you want to avoid. Um, so I don't know. Maybe a very interesting Easter this week. But because of that, there was so much at the end of the sermon uh, that was practical. I decided just to, to wait and still went over time. And so we'll be spending some more time in this next week as well. But let's look at that passage, those familiar verses, Proverbs 3, 1 through 12. If you're there, say amen. It says this, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then, then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your ways will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Louisa Stead was born in England in 1850. At 21 years of age, she moved to the United States. And quickly after that, was invited to a missions conference, a small church in Ohio, where she felt for the very first time a call to give her life to reaching the nations, the call to be a missionary. Now, in any generation, this is difficult as a single lady. We have many single ladies from our church that are on the mission field. But in this day, with the lack of protections, uh, with the lack of ability to communicate back home, this was a massive decision. But she felt without question God was calling her as a single lady to go to the mission field. So she immediately got to work. And she began to think of places she could go and what God was calling us to do. And every time she would get close, she found one consistent obstacle. She just wasn't in good health. And over the next few years, as she consistently tried to find a way to get overseas, it seemed like every time that she was close, her health would not permit her to go. And she was having a hard time discerning what she sensed was the call of God, and yet the confusion of God not seeming to make a way. Maybe you've been there. And so as she waited upon the Lord, continuing to believe this is what God has called us to do, God brought a, a godly man into her life, and they were married they had a daughter named Lily. When Lily was four years old, they decided to go to the beach one day just to rest. 
As they sat there on the beach together, Louisa, her husband, and Lily, the husband began to see something happening out in the water, and he couldn't tell exactly what it was. But as he looked out, he realized there was a boy out there that appeared to be drowning. Without any hesitation or any thought, he ran out as fast as he could. He jumped into the water. He swam out to this little boy and began to try to save him. But as often happens, the boy was, straight, it was stressed and, and flailing around. And when the man tried to save him, the boy took both of them down. And Louisa, with her four-year-old Lily, sat on the side of the beach where they had simply gone to rest for a day. She watched her husband drown. Another shattered dream. A few years after that, still feeling the call to go to the mission field, she took her daughter Lily and they went from the United States all the way to South Africa where she had a fruitful ministry and God began to restore her life and she was married and had an entire life of faithful ministry after that. But it was somewhere, we don't know exactly when, somewhere between the time in which her husband drowned and the time in which she went as a single mother to South Africa that she wrote these words. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er, Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. You see, what she came to learn in the way that most of us come to learn these things through tragedy after tragedy and disappointment after disappointment and pain after pain, she started to learn of the preciousness of Jesus and the sweetness of trusting him. And so in the midst of all of her pain and all of her struggle and all of her disappointment, she could come even in the middle of that and say, there is nothing sweeter than the sweetness of simply living a life in which you are trusting Jesus. Maybe you know that sweetness. Maybe you know the sweetness of trusting Jesus. Maybe you have found that he is sufficient and he is good and you can tell stories of the times in which it seemed impossible for you to have any sense of joy whatsoever that the sweetness of trusting the Lord and the preciousness of Jesus became more real to you than ever. But maybe you know nothing about the sweetness of trusting the Lord. Maybe that whole idea seems strange to you. What do you mean that there's something sweet about trusting the Lord? But I want you just to imagine for a moment how sweet it would be to fully trust the Lord. Imagining that begins with the first four words of verse 5. It is in those four words in which everything in verses 1 through 12 revolves. So everything before it is pointing to those words. Everything after it is pointing to those words. Those words say, trust in the Lord. Now I want to define for you the word trust by giving you two other words. I would encourage you to write these down. The word trust means to rest and rely to rest and rely. What it means to trust the Lord is to rest upon the Lord. And by rest, we mean that there would be in your heart and in your soul a sense of stillness and calmness. And they, instead of 
things going so quickly and feeling so overwhelming, things seem to slow down a little bit. It is a heart that is unhurried and unworried, a heart that is not filled with anxiety. It is really a soul and a heart and a mind that are just at peace. And by rely, we mean the ability to believe that God is able and ready and willing to take care of every single thing that concerns you. It comes from our knowledge of the promises of God and it comes from our knowledge on the character of God and it comes from our knowledge of the works of God throughout history. We see him and we see the way in which he works and we come to know the way in which he feels about us and we start to understand that there is a God who loves us and who is committed to us, who has sent his son Jesus Christ to purchase us that we might not only be saved from sin and death and hell but that we might be brought into a life with Jesus. A life in which there is rest, a life in which there is trust, a life in which we know from God's word, God is more in love with you than you can ever imagine. He is more committed to you than you can ever comprehend. He is more sovereign over every detail of your life than you would ever be able to understand. That everything that happens in your life goes through the hand of a God who loves you and cares for you and delights in you and sings over you with songs of joy. And there is nothing in this life that will ever touch you that does not go through his hand first. Whether it come from your own sin or whether it come from the enemy, whether it come from the gates of hell, no matter where it might come from, there is nothing that comes into your life that it does not come through a sovereign God who loves you and has promised to be committed to you. The one who began the work in you has promised to complete it and he will conform you into the image of Jesus Christ. And what happens is when we begin to know those things and understand those things and the promises of God and the character of God and the work of God become real to us, we begin to believe that we can rely upon him because he's reliable. And it's not just that he is reliable. All of his promises have said that he will never forget you or forsake you. He will take care of everything that concerns you. And so then at that moment, we can start to rest. We can see some of the anxiety and some of the hurry and some of the worry and some of the fret all begin to dissipate. Why? Because there is reliance upon the Lord. I just want you to imagine for a minute a life like this, a life that may seem so distant for you and so foreign to you, but just imagine a life in which you are relying upon the Lord and therefore re resting upon the Lord in the area of your health. And so you're no longer worried, constantly worried about all of the things that might happen to you, about a diagnosis that you may receive or a diagnosis that you have received. No longer constantly anxious about the next disease that you could get or the next virus that's going to come. And frankly, this is a harder one than ever because there's like a hundred things that you know about that you would not have known about if it wasn't for WebMD and medication commercials. So you used to be worried about like three things and now you're worried about a hundred things and all of a sudden you see a commercial about something and you think, I think I have that. <laughs> and you probably don't have it. Maybe you do. And even if you had it, the medication's gonna give you 10 things that are worse than what you have. But the reality is like, this is a greater fear for us than I think it has ever has been before that we're so worried about our health. That we're so worried about what might happen to us. And can you imagine a life 
in which all of a sudden you were so reliant upon the Lord that, that you knew that even if you walked through the valley of the shadow of death, you didn't have to fear any evil. Why? Because he's with you. And when it comes to this whole area of your health, there's really just a rest, a confidence in the Lord and an understanding that he is reliable and has promised to care for you. Imagine if you constantly were aware of the reliability of the Lord and then rested in him in the area of your own safety. And so you're not worried about a thousand things, not just sickness that could happen to you or to your family or accidents or, man, is God going to protect me even whether it be at night or in certain circumstances? But what happens is you begin to believe that God is a rock and God is a fortress and God is a strong tower and he's your defense and he is always watching you every moment of the day. When you're sleeping, he's watching. When you wake, you're watching. He is before you. He is behind you. He is at your right hand and he is at your left hand. And there is nothing you could possibly ever do to add to the amount of safety that he has already guaranteed you. Because he's sovereign over all of those things. And imagine if that whole area of safety was just gone. Now there was just rest. Imagine feeling that way about your finances. That you believe the promises of God. You believed that if you were faithful to give consistently to the Lord, that he has promised that your cup will overflow. And that you will never lack anything. And that if God is, is providing food for the birds, then will he not provide for you? How much more valuable are you than the birds? And the birds are not concerned or worried about these things. God is providing everything that they need. And so it is, Jesus said, and so he will do for you. Can you imagine if looking at the stock market was not a massive stressor for you? That when you thought about your retirement, it wasn't a stressor for you. If you were thinking about how you're going to send five kids to college, it wasn't a stressor for you. If you were thinking about paying for four weddings, it's not a stressor. I'm just coming up with this stuff. It's not, I don't just, maybe you're in this situation. Like, you're not, I'm just making up. You're not worried about that. Like, you're not sitting there thinking, God, how am I going to do this? How is this going to work out? Imagine if you believed that the Lord was reliable and you believed every promise to provide everything you need exactly when you need it. And all of a sudden there was just Rest in the area of your finances. Imagine that kind of feeling in the area of guidance. God, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? What am I going to do next? God, what do, you, what do you have for me? Who am I going to marry? What am I going to do to finish school? Where am I going to go to school? God, what job am I going to have? There's all of these things about guidance. And imagine if what settled over us is just the promise of Psalm 23, that I will lead you in the path of righteousness for my name's sake. Because I'm a shepherd and I'm a good shepherd and I will lead you into green pastures. Besides still waters, I'll restore your soul. And when you need to know where to go, you're going to know where to go. And imagine all of a sudden, all of the questions about guidance just being replaced with rest. Imagine if there was rest in the area of your own sense of worth or significance. So you no longer walked in a room and were convinced that everyone was looking at you and, and everyone was judging you. And like I tell my daughters all the time, the reason you don't need to walk into a room feeling that way is because no one's thinking about you because they're all thinking about themselves. Not that many people are thinking about you because they're thinking about them. And what if all of a sudden all of that insecurity and all of that sense of insignificance and all of that question about your worth and your value and all of that obsession with looking in the mirror and making sure you look just right and making sure you dress just right and making sure everyone has a right perception of you. Can you imagine if in a moment that was gone? It was just gone. And you just felt completely loved 
and valuable, not because anyone else gave you affection, but because you were valuable in the eyes of the one who created you. Imagine if you felt completely at peace and at rest in your soul in every one of those areas. Would you say that would be a sweet way to live? Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus. Imagine all of the stress of all of those things gone. When you imagine that, it kind of makes sense of verse 8. Look at what it says. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. That word refreshment means that trusting the Lord, it, trusting the Lord will be like medicine. That's what that word means, to your bones. The phrase actually means that God will restore your vitality. He will restore your energy. He will restore your sense of life. Can you imagine how much life and energy would be restored to you if you knew the sweetness of trusting the Lord? That is the life that God is inviting you into. That is the life that God created you for. That is the reason God has given you all of his promises. That is the reason he's assured you over and over of who you are and your worth and your value and all the things he feels about you and thinks about you. Not simply because he's invited you into that life, but he's commanding you to lead that life. This is the life that he has for you. And the truth is, it's simply just a life in which you're actually trusting the Lord. Because whatever it is that you rely on and whatever it is that you rest in is actually your God. That's actually your God. So you can have your declaration over here. Well, well, the Lord is my Lord. He's my God. But if there is no resting in the Lord, if there is no reliance in the Lord, it means there is no trust in the Lord. And if there is no trust in the Lord, then he is not your God. And for most of us, what we tend to rely upon the most is ourself. We just tend to live a life that is godless. And so we try to fix every problem and every situation and we're feeling so much weight and burden for all of the things that need to be done in life. And the reality is we're living a godless life and what God is inviting us into is a God-centered life where every single circumstance in life is revolving around what I know to be true about God. It is in that life in which every area of my life is centered around God and his promises and his works and his character that I come to understand the sweetness of trusting him. And it's possible. I want to tell you something, and I'm so thankful for the songs that we sang this morning. And I'm so thankful for the reminder that we're trying to build something. And we read it in Matthew 7. Because it takes time to build a life like this, doesn't it? These are not just things where you make a decision and say, okay, this is it. For the rest of my life, I'm not going to be worried about anything. It doesn't work that way. This is something we learn. It's it's something that the Lord teaches us. It takes time. It takes training. It takes desire. It takes practice. It takes intentionality. And the reason is because it's a matter of the heart, a matter of the mind, and a matter of the will. Look at how all of those things come together just in verses 5 and 6. So it's trust in the Lord with all your heart. So it is to begin with an issue of the heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. So then all of a sudden it becomes a battle for the mind. But in all your ways, acknowledge him, which means now it becomes a battle for the will. 
So it is a battle in the heart, it is a battle in the mind, and it is a battle of the will. At some point, you have to make some choices that I'm going to choose to rest in the Lord. I'm going to choose to trust the Lord. And because this is a battle of the mind and the heart and the will, then this is something that we have to learn. And God wants to teach us these things. He wants us to practice these things. And so what we have in our text this morning is really three verse, three ways that, that we begin to cultivate this life of trust. Three ways in which we cultivate this life of trust. I'm going to give you two of them this morning and Lord willing one next week. How can we cultivate this life? How can this be a reality for us? How can we begin to walk down the pathway of knowing the sweetness of trusting the Lord? The first one is this. I want to encourage you to write this down. To feast on God's word. To feast on God's word. Right before I began to preach Proverbs, someone came to me and said, Pastor Josh, I don't understand how you're going to walk through chapters 1 through 9 week by week because there's so much repetition in there. It seems like the sermons are going to get repetitive. And I thought about what he said, and I agreed that there's a lot of repetition, but then I remembered that what this is, is conversations between a father and the son, and maybe the sovereign God who determined what was going to be in this book knew that the son needed to hear something more than once. And maybe he knew that telling his kid one time to do something wasn't going to work, nor was it on the second or third or fourth or fifth or sixth or seventh or eighth time. Maybe it needed to be 10 times. And maybe the God who orchestrated this book and gave it to us knew we needed the same reminders that we also needed to be reminded. So maybe instead of skipping all the repetition, maybe we need the repetition. So here we are again, like I open up to these verses and I think, Lord, we already heard this. Like this was in chapter one and it was in chapter two. But here he says again, my son, with all of the love and all of the tenderness, do not forget my teaching. To which the son says, dad, I know that already. You said it yesterday. And you said it the day before, dad, every conversation you talk to me about begins with this. Don't forget my words. Dad, I know this. She just comes to remind us of the centrality of the word of God in our life of faith. Listen, I, I had someone at my previous church, I remember walking out of a service one day, and he said to me, why is it that almost every Sunday you tell us to read the Bible, we know this by now, to which I said, I will stop telling you when everybody starts doing it. One of the things that comes to me consistently, I'm always amazed, and this is the reason we like our discipleship groups here, I'm consistently amazed by the amount of people who come to church every week but are not consistently reading the word of God. And let me assure you, there will be no progress of faith in your life. There will be no progress in overcoming sin. There will be no progress in the way of wisdom. There will be no progress in the way of holiness without consistent time in the word of God. None. This is it. And I'm so thankful you've come here this morning. Like it blesses me that you've come here and this is the right thing to do. God has commanded that you be a part of a body of believers. He has commanded that you come hear the word on a regular basis. But the reality is what I'm giving you this morning is not gonna last you for the week. As a matter of fact, it's probably gonna last you till about 3.30 this afternoon. And that's me trying to make myself feel good about what I do here on Sundays. It's probably not gonna last through lunch. It may not last till the car. I don't know. But I'm just saying, 
What you're getting this morning, you need tonight, and you need in the morning, and you need Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday. And can imagine the difference that our church would be if every one of you walked in our Sunday morning having feasted on the word of God. And this is just bonus. This is dessert. And what he's saying here is that if you want to learn how to trust the Lord, if that wants to be a reality in your life, if you have any hunger for the sweetness of that life, it begins with consistency right here every day. That's how God builds that life. That's why he says, do not forget my teaching. That's not, that's not a reference to memory. The phrase do not forget means do not disregard or neglect. And so going back to chapter 1, verse 32, which we looked at two weeks ago and looked at again last week, the real issue is neglect. The biggest issue in our spiritual life is most often neglect. For most of us, the big issue is not just a thousand other things crowding the way or a thousand sins that are getting in the way. For most of it, the issue is complacency. The complacency of fools will kill them. And so we think we're going to be destroyed spiritually by a thousand other big things when the reality is most people are destroyed spiritually simply by neglect of the things that God has asked us to do. And so the neglect of the word of God will kill us. And so he says, I don't want you to neglect my word. Keep listening to my word and let your heart, verse 1, keep my commandments. The word keep means to guard and to protect. And so I want your heart to not only be inclined to the word and hearing the word and receiving the word, but I want you to be protecting the promises of God and the commands of God. Keep it close to your heart. And chapter four, verse 23 is going to tell us, think about this, that everything in our life flows out of our heart. Okay. Proverbs four twenty-three. everything in our life flows out of our heart. And the way in which we keep our heart pure and right with God is through the word, which means everything in our life is flowing through the word. And so how do I feed my soul to make sure that what comes out of my soul is that which is good and right and holy? Well, it's the word of God. How do I make sure that I'm feeding my soul enough that my kids can be refreshed by what's happening through me, that there is really the life of the spirit of God coming through me? How can my heart be so filled with God that out of an overflow of my life, people are blessed? It starts right here. He says, don't forget it and keep it. And look what he says in verse three, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. This is, this blessed me so much this week because at first glance, it seems to say that we need to make sure we continue to practice steadfast love and faithfulness, but that's not what this verse means. What it means is that we cannot let go of our understanding of the steadfast love and faithfulness of God because you're not marked by your steadfast love. God is marked by his steadfast love. God is the one who has steadfast love and God is the one who is constantly faithful. So he's not commanding us to make sure we practice these things. He's commanding us to make sure we don't forget these things. One of the most wonderful phrases in all of the Bible, particularly through the Old Testament, is this idea of the loving kindness of God. It is the Hebrew word, the hesed love of God. And the way we define it here at Prince, because we are sophisticated people, is we use the definition by Sally Lloyd-Jones from the Jesus Storybook Bible for Kids. That's how we remember 
the Hesed love of God because she defines it as the never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. You're just not going to get better than that. It is the never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And so what the father is saying to the son is this, son, you cannot forget the unbreakable love of God for you. You cannot forget the the love of God that will never forsake you. The love of God that will never forget about you. The love of God that will not for a minute relent to pursue you and, and to protect you and to watch over you and to go before you and behind you. You must remember how much God loves you. You must remember the depth of his affection for you. That when he thinks about you, he rejoices. When he thinks about you, he sings. Why? Because through the blood of Jesus Christ, you have been purchased from your sin, brought into a relationship with God, and now God the Father sees you through the lens of Jesus Christ. So in the same way he looked at Jesus, he looks at you and says, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He says, I love you, I'm proud of you, and I'm so glad that you're mine. You thrill my soul, God says. He gets happy when he thinks about you. What he says here is, Son, you can't forget that's the way God feels about you. Because if you're going to trust the Lord, you must know that that's the way he feels about you. And you cannot forget his faithfulness in verse 3. His faithfulness, we mean that he is reliable and, and he is trustworthy and he has made a commitment by the blood of Jesus Christ, an unbreakable commitment that he will not leave you, he will not forsake you, and he will accomplish everything that concerns you. He has made an unbreakable commitment for your good. The God, Ephesians 1.11, who is overseeing all things according to the counsel of his will, has made a commitment to you that he will never stop loving you that he will never stop being faithful to you. And what the father says to the son is, son, you cannot forget these things. He says, hold tightly to those things. Keep those things in your heart. What he's saying is, do not just read the Bible for the commands. Read the Bible for a reminder of how God feels about you and the way in which he sees you. And the reason that is so significant for understanding the sweetness of trusting the Lord is because you can't rest unless you believe that you can rely. Like if you don't feel like you can rely on God and if you're not confident of his commitment to you, if the promises are not in your heart, if his character is not in your mind, then you will not be able to rest in him. And so for the sake of your rest and for the sake of knowing the sweetness, what he says is I want you to immerse yourself. I want you to feast on the word of God because the word of God is simply the story of God's unrelenting pursuit and love and commitment to his people. That's the storyline of the Bible. He says, I want this trust to be a part of your heart and your mind and your will. And so it is. The word of God is forming all of that. The word of God is showing you by the spirit-infused act of the will the things you need to be doing. It is changing the affections of your heart. It is changing your mind. I had someone come to me after the first service and they said, Pastor, you always say this verse. You always say, in your presence is fullness of joy. I said, I know. I say it all the time. It's Psalm 16. It's one of my like core verses, okay? And he said to me, I've started reading the Bible more and I get it. He said that to me after the first service. Like I'm starting to know the joy of the presence of God. Why? Because if you would get into his presence, then you would know the joy. Think about all the promises that are here. Look at this. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. 
And then verse four, you'll find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. And the way the Proverbs work is these are principles. And we don't take every one of these promises exactly literal in this sense in the book of Proverbs because it's wisdom literature. But what we do know is something like this. We know without question that those who are committed to the word of God, who are having their heart and mind transformed by the word of God, who are remembering his promises, will find that their physical life, their emotional life, their spiritual life are dramatically helped by the sweetness of trusting the Lord that comes from the word of God. That's absolutely true. God will begin to change the way in which you feel. Your physical life will be different when you come to know the refreshment of the word of God. So this is why Louisa Sneed says, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word. If he said it, I'm gonna believe it and I'm gonna rest on it. But the second one is this. We not only feast on God's word, we fight self-reliance. We have to fight our self-reliance. Because the greatest enemy to knowing the sweetness of trusting the Lord is your own self-reliance. What I mean by self-reliance is that you are resting and relying on your abilities and your wisdom and your resources. And so that's why it says right here in verse five, do not do that. <laughs> do, do not lean on your own understanding. Lean means to put your weight upon something. And so what it says is, is you feel weak and you feel burdened and you feel anxious. And what you tend to do is you lean when you're tired in this way on your own understanding. You are resting upon your ability to fix the situation, your ability to know what to do, your ability to make things better. And the reality is when you lean on your own understanding and try to fix everything and fix and uh, figure everything out, the reality is you're now acting like God. You have elevated yourself to the place of God and you have taken God down to the level of yourself. What you said is, God, I'm not sure I trust you to handle it, but I trust me to handle it. And it says, do not lean on your own understanding. And then it says this, instead of that, in all of your ways, acknowledge him. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. And I talked about how this message really helps us understand how experience the presence of God and the way it does is because what God is doing is he's saying, I want you to invite me into every area of your life. No matter what the concern is about any area of life, I want you to invite me into that. I want you to seek my word about that area. I want you to pray about that area. I don't want there to be one area of your life, no matter how insignificant it might seem. I want every one of your ways to be ways in which you acknowledge me. You bring me into everything. And so now all of a sudden, it's not, here's a life surrounded by stress and we're the resources to take care of it. It is now God at the center of our life and everything in our life is revolving around his character, his promises, and his work. He says, in all your ways acknowledge me and he will make straight your paths. And this, be not wise in your own eyes. I love that an old version says, do not reckon yourself wise. Stop thinking you're wise. <laughs> Stop thinking you know what to do. Stop thinking that you have the wisdom to take care of this situation and figure things out because you simply don't. And the fact that you don't have enough wisdom to figure this out is the greatest gift that God had given you because if you thought you had it, you would stay with yourself to do it. But God wants to lead you to him and to his wisdom. So he says, stop relying upon yourself and depending upon your wisdom, but acknowledge him in everything. And then it says this, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. 
To fear the Lord means acknowledge God is God and you're not. See God as the one who is sovereign and holy and righteous and has made a commitment to you. See him in that way and turn away from your evil. And I think it applies to any evil, but specifically in this context, it is the evil of your pride and the evil of your self-reliance because we know that the proud do not get help from God. So if you refuse to humble yourself before God and to seek the Lord, then what you're doing is you're acting as if you can do it yourself. And the Lord says this, well, fine, fine, you take care of it. I tell you how many counseling situations I've been in, long-term counseling situations in which someone has refused to humble themselves and get help. And the reality is they have continued to see more pain and more dysfunction because they will not listen and will not acknowledge they need help. And so what happens is God says, fine, fine. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That's what self-reliance is. It's simply the pride of our own heart. It's 2014 and... We had been through some extremely difficult situations uh, in our family, and we had some major stresses uh, I did at work. It was good stuff. The church was growing. Things were happening, but it was really, really heavy. We had had some pretty significant church discipline situations, and I was physically, emotionally, and spiritually done. It's hard for me. Some of you have been there. It's hard for me to even describe the feeling um, of having, sensing that you have absolutely nothing left. I'll never forget this moment. I was walking through our neighborhood and I was really trying to use walking, which normally works for me as a way to get feeling better. And I can tell you exactly where I was in Hackbrake Creek neighborhood. I can take you to the street and the exact spot I was standing when I stopped and physically thought I couldn't walk anymore. I really didn't think I could move. I was just done. It was at that moment in which the Lord just brought to my mind 1 Peter 5, 7, which says, cast your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. And I knew that that word cast meant to throw something off. It's really kind of a violent or dramatic action. It is throwing something off of you onto something else. And what I realized as I was standing right there on that street is that all of the weight of all of the anxiety and all of the pain and all of the suffering and all of the confusion and all of the decisions and all of the counseling was just resting right here. And what I realized in that moment is that my shoulders weren't strong enough to carry it. And, and something had to happen. And I remember thinking, okay, there has to be something real about this. Like there has to be a actual way to cast these things upon the Lord. And I begin to walk again. And what I did is I took every situation in my life and I begin to just, just, just try to cast it upon the Lord and say, okay, Lord, here's this one. I can't fix that. I can't fix that. And so I'm going to keep praying about it, but I got to trust you to fix it. God, I don't want to carry the weight of that any longer. And I continued to cast these things upon the Lord. And it was amazing the way in which I began to realize as I continued to walk, how many things I was carrying and how many situations in my life that I had not acknowledged God with. I had not even brought God into this scenario. It's all the weight that I was carrying. And then I remember a few days after that coming to this Proverbs chapter 3 and I saw something I had never seen before because everyone's stress manifests itself in different ways and stress will have dramatic physical effects upon your life. 
The psychosomatic symptoms that people experience through stress and anxiety and fear are unbelievable. And some of you, you get headaches. Some of you, your back aches. For me, everything's just in my gut. Like I just get sick. I get debilitating nausea. It's still like my number one thing that I know when I'm overwhelmed. And then I remember finding this verse in Proverbs 3, verse 8. It will be healing to your flesh. And then in my Bible, there's a flesh, and then it says number two. And you go down to number two, and you know what the word flesh means? Navel. God will refresh your navel. That's the quote for today. If you're tweeting or anything, God will refresh your, na- refresh your navel. But you know what that means? means that all of the all of the tension here all of the anxiety there all of the angst there all of the pressure that is there the trusting the lord heals that trusting the lord begins to remove that all of a sudden the physical symptom of being constantly weighed down by all of the stress and anxiety can be replaced with the sweetness of trusting the lord And that's exactly the life that God is inviting us into. God is inviting us into a life in which we replace all of those physical symptoms and all of the weight of all of the pressure and the anxiety by an act of the will, the spirit-infused will, where we begin to take our cares and we cast them on the Lord and we say, Lord, I am going to rely on you situation and I am going to allow my heart to be at rest. Why? Because I know that you have committed to me and you love me And you will take care of everything that concerns me. And so I'm casting this upon you. I can't tell you how I preached this morning in the first service and even now. The love that I feel for you and the longing I have for you to know what it's like to live that kind of life. And can I tell you, it will be a battle till the day you die. I'm not sure ever you you ever just get victory over this. But we learn moment by moment sweetness of trusting God as we take every single situation and we put it under the authority of God and into the hands of God and on the shoulders of God and said, God, I'm going to trust you and your promises and I'm going to rest. I'm going to rest because I can't take care of this. Exactly the life that God is inviting you into. That you might know the preciousness of Jesus and the sweetness of trusting him. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.